We're talking this morning about the war in Ukraine. Things there have escalated very quickly with more international resources backing the Ukrainian effort. But the Russian government has warned that more military aid for Kiev would make members of the U.S.-led military alliance a direct party to the conflict. Putin has said it could trigger a global conflict. To talk more about this, we have Melinda Herring on the line. She's a deputy director of the Eurasia Center at the Atlantic Council. Hello, Melinda. Hi, good morning, Raji. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great for you to be with here us with us here again. So Russian state media has said that the war could escalate into a global conflict if Ukraine is allowed to join NATO. What does this intensifying rhetoric actually mean? It means that Putin is running scared and has very, very few options. We should just ignore him. He's made many, many empty threats. He's threatened to use nuclear weapons, I think, three dozen times, and he never uses them. He's threatened uh, that there would be you know, dire consequences if NATO were to expand. And now we see Finland and Sweden about to join NATO, and there's been no consequences. So we should ignore him and continue to send all the weapons that Ukraine needs as soon as possible. Okay. And Mr. Putin also uh, illegally annexed several provinces uh, after those sham referendums took place. And it's got people wondering, does Putin, does he actually want Ukraine or does he want World War III, given these threats? So he wants to destroy Ukraine. And that's pretty clear. You know, last weekend we saw hits across the country in more than 10 different cities. And I have a giant map in front of me. And so Ukraine is a very big country. And the area that he, quote unquote, annexed, stole, you know, whatever word you want to use, uh, is four provinces. And it's the size of Hungary, if you you were to combine the the land size. So it's it's an enormous area of the country. It's all the way east, south and east. Uh, And the... uh, the technical part or the hard part of this is he doesn't control all these four provinces. So he, he's, you know, held these fake referenda and they, they literally went door to door and held guns in people's faces and said, which way do you want to vote? You know, and it's clear what you have to do. But he doesn't even control all, all these provinces. But last weekend was key and we're going to see more of it, unfortunately. So there were enormous strikes on civilian targets all over Ukraine. And we hadn't seen uh, the city of Kiev, the capital, hit in months. And Lviv uh, was was hit as well. Uh, and this is uh, one of the big cities out west that's pretty close to Poland. What this means, though, is Putin can't win on the battlefield. And he's going to resort to trying to make life so miserable. Ukraine is a cold country like Canada. So miserable that people can't live there. So there's no heat. There's no power. There's no Internet. But the Ukrainians are restoring the, these services now. And and Melinda, we've seen Ukraine's army forcing the the Russian soldiers to retreat in the south Mm -hmm. in recent weeks. Mm -hmm. What more do you see happening with the abilities of that kind of offense? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Raji. So the Ukrainians have been engaging in a counteroffensive, and they said, we are trying to retake the south. And it's a city called Kherson, and it's a city that fell very early on to the Russians. Uh, But it was a tricky move. So they made so much noise about it. The president made noise about it. The government made noise about it. And the Russians moved a lot of their troops down. Uh, And it enabled the Ukrainians to push in the north and then in the east. Uh, In the north, they were able to recapture a huge amount of territory. In the east, a little bit more. And fighting is really hard there. And then fighting in the south, where you asked in Kherson, 
is very, very important. Uh, it's hard, and most military analysts expect Ukraine to retake Kherson. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be before winter. Temperatures are starting to decline, and anything that's tracked, any military equipment, is going to get stuck in snow uh, and mud. So there's about two to three weeks left for the Ukrainians to really push. But Kherson will uh, be recaptured by the Ukrainians. Uh, and then, uh, you know, most analysts are saying that that's the gateway to Crimea, to retaking Crimea. But Crimea is not going to be easy, and there's no way they're going to do that before winter. Yeah, and these soldiers, some of these Ukrainian soldiers who are being trained, I, I saw videos of some being trained in the UK in these very mm-hmm. short spurts, uh, five weeks of training, training people, I should add, who previously had zero experience whatsoever on a battlefield. And These are regular folks, some are in their... 30s and uh, doing completely other things in their careers. They never intended to be soldiers. Uh, how many, what was your sense of how much of the Ukrainian population is still dedicated to this, to fighting this war? That's a great question. So I, I would answer it a little bit differently. There's many ways to serve your country and you don't just have to have a gun in your hand. So the, the Ukrainians are supporting the war effort 100% of them are behind it. Uh, you know, this, this, this has completely changed the country of Ukraine. There's a huge volunteer movement. So Ukraine is not a failed state. It is not Afghanistan. It's banking sector work. It's railways work. It's schools work. It's hospitals work. They pay their pensions on time. These things are kind of jarring when you look at the images, you know, on the New York Times website um, or, or any of the major papers uh, of these horrific war scenes. But this, the state is still operating. And um, a lot of it has to do with this volunteer network. So there are normal people, you describe the, the best logisticians in the country, people who own, who are millionaires, have uh, stopped their businesses and are moving humanitarian supplies and medicines across the country. There's another group of young people who are in their 30s. And these are people you know, who used to work for Ernst & Young. They used to work for law firms. They used to work in government. Right. They stopped what they're doing, and they're delivering medicines all over the country you know, to little old grandmas. So I would say everyone is behind the effort, uh, and everyone is giving in different ways. Yeah. And meanwhile, the UK's economy is suffering due to the war. There, there's a budding revolution taking place in Iran. The Lebanese are surviving on one meal a day without Ukrainian wheat to make their bread. What does the latest level of threat from Putin what does that mean for the rest of Europe's reaction? So the big question is, will the coalition in Europe that supports Ukraine, you know, it's full throated vigor. Will that coalition hold through the winter? Because Putin has a history, a long sorted history of using gas and oil uh, as a weapon. And he loves to turn on and off the tap and try to freeze people out and, and get them to agree to things they don't want to agree to. So we know that's his game. We know he's going to try that. But he has other instruments. You mentioned grain. So you, Ukraine is or was the breadbasket of Europe. It has beautiful soil, and uh, they, they make tons and tons of grain and sunflower oil. And Putin's throttled the ports, and they couldn't get this grain out. There was a deal in July. Some of the grain is, is coming out now, not as much as we would like. Uh, but the issue, though, is that deal expires very soon. Putin may not re-sign that deal. So that's one area of leverage. His gas and oil is leverage uh, as well. And he also, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a champion manipulator. He can cut Internet cables under the sea. They can do more nonsense with, with Nord Stream. He has all kinds of options.
Yeah. In a piece you uh, had published on the Atlantic Council last week, you you write that ordinary people still need to keep up their support wherever they are, here in North America, even for Ukraine. Do you think average people are losing interest? No, no, I'm really heartened by this. So the Ukrainians are now, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the air, the Ukrainians are kicking ass and they are winning (laughs) a full throttle. Um, You know, and the momentum is really behind them. So Thankfully, there's a lot more attention um, in the news cycle on Ukraine. And and I see uh, I live in the Washington, D.C. area and there's momentum here. So on Tuesday, there's an enormous benefit concert at the Kennedy Center in honor of Ukraine with one of the world class violinists of the world. So I see more and more volunteer work here. I see and it's not Ukrainian diaspora. I'm not Ukrainian. Uh, I see ordinary people wanting to give and help. But the article I wrote was challenging people to find new audiences who haven't given and who haven't helped. So if you're listening, there's many ways to contribute. Winter's going to be very cold in Ukraine. They need thermal underwear, sleeping bags, socks. So I'm not asking you if you, if, if you don't have a lot of money, you can still knit a pair of socks. There's many, many ways to give. Yeah, including actually helping with the very local effort here in uh, in BC, where we're broadcasting from, where there are many Ukrainian uh, displaced persons. Melinda Herring, as always, it's really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you. Pleasure.